Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. Doing things a little bit different today. I'm only joined by one guest, but that guest is a heavy hitter. It's Joseph Blankship, who is the VP and Research Director of Forrester. Joseph covers security infrastructure operations, uh, including tools for security operations centers, as well as topics like AI, uh, email security, DDoS, and network security. His research focuses on security monitoring, threat detection, insider threat, and phishing prevention, operations and management. We're going to be taking uh, a deeper look, obviously, into the insider threat, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Joseph, why don't you say hello to the audience and, and let them know that you're here in human. Yeah, you know, you actually uh, you make me a little nervous, George. You know, starting out with heavy uh, hitter, I don't even know how to uh, how to respond to you know to that. Hopefully, maybe that means I can join the Braves next year. Well, there you go. If that's an aspiration of yours, then we might have that as a question at the end. We can ask you. So, uh, <laughs> absolutely. So, Joseph, you know, before we get into kind of the meat of, of all of this, we like to have a little bit of fun at the beginning. We do an icebreaker. It's a very simple game. I'm just going to ask you, what's bugging you? And this, we typically like to kind of keep it in the cybersecurity realm, but really whatever comes to mind, what's bugging you today? Oh, wow. What's, uh, what's bugging me? Well, aside that uh, Q1 uh, 2022 feels like Q4 2021 just spilled over, right. uh, I'd say in relation to this topic, insider threat, it's probably that uh, it's still not recognized by a lot of folks as being a, um, a real risk or a real, uh, a real threat factor. And probably isn't uh, you know treated as such in a lot of places. Well, hopefully today we can shine some light on that and and then kind of distinguish distinguish the fact that it is a very real risk that people need to be wary of, um, and that zero trust can help. And I think that kind of leads us you know basically into into our topic overview today. So we're going to be defining what insider risks are, uh, the different variations of insider threats. Uh, you know, Joseph, you're going to be going in and bringing in some expertise from some of the Forrester research and the reports that you've, you've built out, sharing any relevant insights or data that we have. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the role of zero trust in helping prevent insider risks. Uh, the human component associated with this threat type, which has got a lot of nuances associated with it naturally. Um, and ideally, you know, we're going to be trying to offer up some practical advice that people can walk away with after the conclusion of this podcast. So, Let's just dive right into this. You know, you shared with us um, that the topic of insider threats, you know, you, insider threats, you, you, you cover a lot of ground at Forrester, right? But you've, you've said to us, correct me if I'm wrong, insider threats is, is a personal favorite. Why is that? Well, it's a personal favorite, because I think you know, a lot of, because of a lot of what you just said, right? It's a very human problem. You know, we typically think of things that are cybersecurity focused to be very technology centric, right? But this is a, a human problem. And just like a lot of people like to listen to murder podcasts or, you know, people like to watch uh, you know, shows like Dateline and 48 Hours about disappearances or how I killed my you know, spouse or whatever, all those kinds of things. To me, it's fascinating to learn why did people do the things that they did, whether that was on purpose and maliciously or if that was, hey, I just made a mistake. I made an honest mistake trying to get something done and ended up causing some pain. Uh, so it's fascinating to me to, to dive into that human condition and look at the human side of, of security and risk. I love that. It kind of gets into the psychology of how people operate, right? And you have to be mindful of that as an organization and how you factor that into evaluating risk 
um, because we are by nature very complex individuals, right? I mean, nobody is nobody is the same. Um, everybody has different circumstances and drivers behind them that prompt them to do and take certain actions. So CISA defines an insider as any person who has or had authorized access access to or knowledge of an organization's resources, including personal uh, personnel, facilities, information, equipment, networks, and systems. The list goes on. It's really any person includes employees and contractors, business associates, third parties, and even former employees and members of those. How do you, Joseph, how do you define insider threats? And like, what are those different categories to help kind of clear the air on what we're talking about here? Well, yeah, I think CISA's definition is, is very specific and actually very, uh, very good, right? So because they include current employees and current contractors, et cetera, as well as past. Because you know, the uh, the insider you really don't want is the insider who's no longer an insider. You just forgot to turn their credentials off. Um, or you didn't really have a good uh, process for when that person resigns or they get, or worse, even worse, they get fired. Uh, and we don't know what all they had access to. Uh, that type of thing, but you know, by and large, you know, I define uh, insider insiders as employees, contractors, partners, or vendors. Anybody who you are sharing access, sharing systems with, uh, you know, current or or even former, uh, they could all be uh, be insiders. And so, really, that kind of goes also into the fact that you know, you think about when you visualize insider threats. A lot of people go to Mr. Robot, Edward Snowden. Those, those very kind of malicious and intent-driven individuals. I mean, even, you know, as of late, there was the, uh, the Navy officer that was caught trying to sell secrets to foreign entities. Um, that's on one side of the spectrum, right, from an insider threat perspective. When I think about it, there's also maybe negligence that comes in. You might not have a, you know, malicious intent, but you might do something that puts your organization at risk. Or you could be... Uh, engineered to look as though you were the person within the organization, but in, re- in reality, it's a threat actor that is masquerading themselves as you as an employee, and that makes it very difficult to really define it. Do you feel, I mean, I don't know if you've got any specific examples or even, you know, back to your previous uh, comment that, you know, what's bugging you is that there's not a lot of uh, noise around insider threats. Do you, you feel like broadening that spectrum and that definition kind of brings a little bit of light to how we should be thinking about insider threats as a, as a, as a big threat to organizations? Yeah, George. So we, we have a saying at, at, at Forrester that all data theft is an inside job. And it's definitely for all the reasons you just listed, yeah. right? It's either in someone who's working inside the organization or working with the systems, what have you, uh, that makes a mistake, does something malicious, or it's someone whose credentials are compromised. Now, there was a... Uh, uh, a, a breach at, uh, at Marriott back in 2020, right, where a couple of users had their credentials compromised and then you know, five million some odd records were uh, absconded with, right? So you've got examples like that. Um, you've got other examples where, um, you know, people are doing things that are, that, that are you know, in, intentional. Uh, and that kind of takes a few different, uh, a few different uh, you know, faces. That could be financial fraud, you know, you know, stealing something for financial gain. It could be stealing uh, intellectual property. And that actually starts bordering on things like um, corporate espionage yeah. or even worse, you know, real espionage, depending on the destination for that intellectual property, wherever it's going. It could be things like sabotage, 
where the uh, the person is just saying, hey, I'm going to go wreck some stuff. There's a, a couple of examples that uh, companies like like Tesla, uh, where insiders have were upset uh, and they either destroyed some code, disrupted some production. Uh, there's a really terrible example of uh, sabotage at a uh, company called Stratus Healthcare back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic, where somebody uh, was uh, was getting fired. Uh, and you know, because they were upset about that situation, uh, they uh, ended up sabotaging the shipment of PPE that was going out to yeah. healthcare yeah. providers and stuff. So you kind of think anything from the mild, oh my gosh, I made a mistake, um, to go, hey, I'm really going to stick it to this company and even hurt people downstream. You know, that's kind of the, the mentality. You kind of talked a little bit about that human condition, right? So everything from, oops, I made a mistake to, yes, I am actually malicious. Do you think organizations, or when you think about uh, compromised credentials or compromised devices that are connected to corporate networks that are typically going to be flat and, and you know prime for lateral movement, do organizations have a hard time actually identifying the difference between an insider threat and an outside threat? I mean, back to your quote, right, that all data theft is an inside job, even if it's an outside party. They have to get inside the doors and look as though they are an individual. I mean, I, I don't know if Forrest has got any perspective on that, or, or obviously Joseph, if you do. Yeah, I definitely have perspective on that. I think one of the there's a couple of things at play there. You know, most of our security apparatus is actually created to prevent intrusion from the outside, so we're actually externally, fa- you know, facing. Um, we're, and the same with our monitoring technology. We're looking for things coming from the outside mm-hmm. and trying to stop that, right? We're you know, kind of monitoring for uh, that behavior. Now, the, the, kind of where we start getting into trouble is we say everything that happens with legitimate user credentials inside a network, inside a set of systems, uh, all of that is authorized. All of that is trusted. That's where we get into trouble. Yep. Uh, and George, you mentioned at the top of this, right, one of the things about insiders is they actually have very specific knowledge of the way systems interoperate. They know where data is stored. They typically know how they transact uh, with, with data or, and use that in their, in their day jobs, right? They actually may have some knowledge of the systems in place to monitor their behaviors, right? You know, things like DLP systems. You know, you may, they may know, hey, I'll get a slap on the wrist if I do this three times. But you know, if I just do things low and slow, the DLP will never catch it, mm. right? It'll ne- it'll never you know sense my uh, sense my actions. So when we kind of allow all of that trusted access, the other thing that where we really get into trouble, right, is we give people too many access credentials, right? Let's just say I'm working on a sensitive project, right? Um, let's just say I, I was reading a couple of cases that had happened in the pharmaceutical industry. So right, you're, you're talking about billions of dollars of R and D effort. Right, so you've got people trying to expel that intellectual property. So let's just say I'm a researcher at a pharma company, right? I am on a project. I have a specific set of tasks I'm going to perform as part of this project. So I'm given credentials to go into those systems, do my work, and then maybe I get reassigned to go do something else. I should lose my credentials to that previous project right. until I'm called back to work on that. Right? If you leave that open and say, oh. JB's trusted. You know, he's fine. He he would never do anything wrong. Uh, right up right up until temptation strikes, or my credentials are compromised by some external actor. Right now, all of that is in jeopardy. So it's also about hey, if we give all of this uh, all these permissions 
and allow this privileged access to all this data, all these systems. That's where we get into trouble, and that's where zero trust, yeah. you know, kind of that principle actually helps us reduce that risk. I mean, so outside of actually getting into technology solutions itself, right, and thinking about you know the future state of how people can help prevent this, which we'll get into. Why is that the case now? I mean, it, what, I start ringing the bell of complexity, right? That's what that sounds like to me. It's entirely too complex to manage all of these different permissions all of the time. What, what's the root cause of, of why this is happening, in your opinion? Well, I, I think one thing you said is complexity. So every year we do a security survey. We go out and ask you know, security leaders, you know, what are your challenges? Uh, every year, uh, it, it kind of flip-flops. Uh, between one and two, where complexity is either the leading concern of IT or, or security leaders, or it's the kind of the shifting you know, and evolving nature of the threat environment, right? So you've got those two dynamic um, situations happening at the, at the same time. But complexity is absolutely uh, the devil, and we keep making our systems more and more complex. I think the reason that we do these things with the overprivileged access, uh, probably not having a lot of controls uh, in the network is, first of all, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, it's really easy to leave everything open. It's really easy to say, you know, hey, we're just going to give people carte blanche access to stuff because then if I don't have the staff, I don't have the technology, I don't have the process, you know, to um, grant that access, then take it away, you know, once the person is done, then I've got no control. Uh, you know, I've got no ability. So it's easy. Right. And so if we're not thinking of this in the ways that our access could be abused, uh, that's that's really where you have to put on your, you know, your uh, pen test, you know, sort of a hat, right? Your hacker sort of a hat and say, how could somebody abuse this access? How could somebody abuse this system? What data do we have that people would be interested in that they might be willing to steal? No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Even just kind of, you know, following that complexity, uh, thought a little bit, I think about the pandemic, I think about the work from home realities, um, you know, match that also with aggressive digital transformation goals for organizations, which means more technologies, right? More things to break into, more footholds to, to, to find your way um, deeper into the networks of these organizations. Are you seeing that that complexity problem, I mean, unless we do something about it, it's just compounding. I mean, have you seen an evolution, and again, trying to keep this all back into insider threats, but um, with the push for work from home, with ongoing digital transformation efforts, has that had an impact on insider threats and the risk it brings to organizations? You know, I think it, I really think it has, right? For, for in, in probably not even so much the, the malicious insider, which is the you know, for me, the fun stuff to talk about, but even the accidental stuff, right? Because we go home and we're distracted by all kinds of things. I mean, if you can think, and I can't believe we're here two years into the pandemic and we're still talking about the pandemic, right? But if you can, if you can harken back two years ago to when we all went home in March of 2020, you had, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of workers who had never worked from home before. They may not have even had a corporate issued device to go and work from home with. So now you had IT you know, groups and security teams sort of scrambling to say, how do, we, how do we secure all that? How do we have our policies follow those users wherever they go? So you, you're talking about the complexity, right? So now you've got the digital transformation you mentioned. You've got people all over the place. You've also got all the distractions that belong 
uh, with that, you know, where, you know, maybe I'm, tr I'm trying to uh, send an email to somebody, I get distracted, send it to the wrong place. That's an ac accidental disclosure. Or I, you know, I don't have a server to drop a file on. So I say, you know what, I'll just put it in Dropbox. And that Dropbox is wide open. Or it's an, it's an S3 bucket. It's whatever it is. Because I'm distracted. I'm not thinking. And I've got nothing, perhaps, enforcing the corporate policy for safe data handling. So all of those things can, you know, can, can add up over time. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, I kind of want to really dive into now talking a little bit about solutions, right? And specifically Zero Trust. Um, I mean, there's tons of data out there. I don't know if what, 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 what Forrester sees, but a lot of the times when you, when you think about a breach, um, a lot of it does, I mean, you know, significantly comes back to human error, whether it's a misconfiguration, whether it's stolen credentials, um, negligence, malicious behavior, whatever the case might be. What, what, how does Zero Trust solve this problem? It's a simple question. In your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just to kind of give you, you know, a little perspective on what you just said, right? You know, how does that break down between maliciousness and accidental, right? So our, our data, you know, shows us that about 24% of data breaches in the past 12 months, according to our survey respondents, were caused because of internal incident, right? And we can break those internal incidents down to malicious, hey, I'm a bad person, I'm going to take some data. Uh, it could be accidental, like we were talking, or just kind of inadvertently exposing yeah. something. And you know, that breaks down to about 33% of those incidents. And then some you know, respondents said, hey, we had incidents of both, right? Now it's about another third of those incidents. So it kind of breaks down roughly a third, a third, a third malicious to accidental uh, to, hey, we had some incident of both, right? How, how does Zero Trust help to address it, right? The first thing with Zero Trust is we, you know, tr we default deny people uh, access to data and systems. Unless I know that uh, George has a reason to be on this system interacting with this data for his, you know, his role at the company, I am not going to allow him to have access to it, right? Period. That's how zero trust starts. We say, hey, we're going to default deny access. And we have to understand who the people are, you know, kind of what their roles are. So, you know, remember earlier I was talking about how this is hard. This is not easy, right? So you actually have to know the people. You have to know what their you know, their responsibilities are. You have to know the data, right? You have to know what you know what the uh, value of the data is and how maybe you, know, you transact with that data in your job. Uh, and then we kind of use zero trust to say, hey, I'm going to allow George to use these systems and access this data and behave with it in these ways. Uh, and everybody else that is not, you know, in that same user group, they're not going to have the same access as you. And then if you change groups, you know, as soon as you change groups, I need to get a notification so I can cut off that access. We don't have that lingering access. Or if you say, hey, I'm going to leave the company, I have a process that says I'm going to shut off your access as soon as you leave. So privileged access, I think, is you know, sort of job one, right, uh, when we start talking about zero trust. The other thing that we, and I'm sorry if I'm going on too long, but the other thing that we, that we think about, right, is how do we segment our networks and systems in such a way that a user can easily uh, move all around uh, a network? Uh, I can remember, you know, kind of starting off, you know, as a, uh, as a much younger person uh, and like, like looking out on file shares and going, hey, I wonder what that is. Uh, and occasionally, you know, somebody was smart and it had password protected that file share, but for the most part, they were wide open. 
right? So, it, you know, as we are, you know, building systems and building networks and we're thinking about this, we have to figure out ways that we, you know, can logically segment um, those networks so that we're not allowing people to move laterally, whether it's an insider who's just curious, like I was yep. with the file, you know, shares, or if I'm a, either a, I could be a malicious outsider who's compromised some credentials, and now I'm trying to re recon the uh, the network to figure out, hey, what all's here? What can I get into? Yeah. Well, I think when I look at some of your research, um, you touched on this a little bit, right? When you think about onboarding and offboarding users, it's really not just a security problem when you think about inside the threats. And um, I know also in some of the, the reports, and I keep making reference to the report. Let me say it out loud for the audience. It's the best <laughs> practices for mitigating inside of threats, which is part of the Zero Trust playbook for Forrester. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know the, the cross-functional collaborations that need to happen and the, the non-technology-based you know, solution, I guess, um, that people should be thinking about? Yeah, and I think this is probably another reason that insider threat may get a little bit overlooked, right? Because it puts um, security people and technologists a little out of their com comfort zone. Because I might say to whoever's leading this effort, you've got to go and build a relationship with the HR department. And you know, a lot of security people might cringe at that. Say, sure. I don't want to talk to HR. Or you need to go and talk to the general counsel. Even worse. We need to get the general counsel and some representative from HR and somebody from internal audit, somebody from here and there, all into a uh, either a virtual conference, since we don't do things in person anymore, or into a conference room so we can all have a discussion about roles and responsibilities, data sharing, uh, how we're going to handle insiders when we find them, uh, those types of things. Because we need to know when we onboard an employee, what, what their role is, uh, what, you know, what the, the access policy for them should be. We need to know when people are uh, put in their notice, right? Because one of the riskiest things somebody can do is put in their notice. You know, typically that will be a, a signal to the security team to say, I'm, I'm going to go back 60 to 90 days and figure out, you know, hey, was that person downloading anything? Did they send any weird emails? Uh, did they have any kind of weird data handling that was unusual for them? Did they show any kind of risky behaviors? Uh, and we may scrutinize really closely what they're doing while they're working out their notice as well. Well, and I would assume as well that the systems owned by those different functions, you know, if you think about like an HR management system, um, there's automation potentials there when you think about tapping into zero trust, um, you know, access solutions and being able to say, okay, the moment that somebody gets on and they have these policies, you know, the, this, they, they belong to this group, then they get these sets of policies and, and vice versa, probably more so on the offboarding, because I think that's where um, it's it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. This this employee is no longer here anymore. You know, it's more of a data hygiene activity than it is a security risk perception, and it needs to be looked more so as a security risk, uh, act, you know, activity. You know, I think there's also, I mean, as you're thinking about the human element of this, and and you touched on it, even when you think about bringing in legal counsel, and I'm sure people are asking why do you have to do that. Privacy, right? And you have to, and I think this is kind of where we get into harsh use of language. You've got insider threat and zero trust. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds harsh. Um, what, what guidance would you give to the audience to kind of navigate around the the lexicon there and, and maybe take it with a little bit of a grain of salt? Yeah, George, I think this is like a, a conversation that's happening a lot in inside of. Uh inside of, you know, organizations all over the place, right? Do we call it insider threat? Like, you right. know, these people are dangerous or is it insider risk? What risk do these people potentially 
uh, present with their behaviors, right? Uh, in helping them, as we're you know, doing our you know, awareness and culture, uh, you know, training events and things like that, I actually find, think it's helpful that we don't mention insider threat. We talk about safe data handling, mm-hmm. right? We, we start talking about acceptable use. Uh, you know, these are the policies we've got in place. We're not necessarily saying, hey, you're, you're bad. So we don't expose that to the, uh, to the user community. I'd say the same thing with zero trust, right? With zero trust, what we're saying basically is we don't necessarily trust a device or an identity, not the person, but the identity, because we don't know who it is, right? right? I may not know that you're George. I just know that your user credential is trying to do something, right? So I don't trust the identity. So, but I would also advise, we just published some research on this uh, you know, just this, this week at Forrester, the definition of modern zero trust. And as part of that, well, one of the things that we talk about is maybe you don't surface the term zero trust to the end user. I mean, what, of what value is that to them? Sure. Right? Because they're typically not going to be designing your security. They're not going to be doing your network architecture. Right? They're trying to do whatever their job is. Right? So we didn't necessarily need to surface that term to them. I think that's, I think that's a great recommendation. Um, so, Joseph, I want to be respectful of time here, and I really appreciate you being on. Uh, you know, before we go to, to, to kind of wrapping this up and, and doing a fun little game that we, we always do at the end of these, I want to give you the opportunity just to kind of share, you know, any re- you know, final recommendations, final thoughts on, on what an organization can take away if they are specifically looking at insider threat, especially the way that we've defined it today. Um, what would your recommendations be to them? Absolutely. Well, I think the, the first thing is to realize that if you... Um, don't think you have some sort of an insider risk uh, issue. That means you're likely not looking for it. You know, everyone's got uh, PII, you know, personal information. You may have PHI. Uh, you may have intellectual property uh, that may be of interest to people that don't work for you um, or, or from other organizations. So realize that there are people who might try to take advantage of, uh, of their role at your organization, you know, to stay, steal any of those things or make them uh, make make them available you know, by by accident, right? So I think that's kind of kind of the first thing. The other thing is, you know, and we said it at the top of the podcast. This is a human problem. There are humans involved. There are you know privacy concerns. You know, one of the things, George, you mentioned why did we need to go and get legal counsel involved, and it's because if we ever actually catch an insider that we think is doing something maliciously and we want to take an action, we now have to treat that as if it's going to end up in litigation, right? So we're either going to take an action to say, hey, that was bad, don't do that again, or B, hey, that was bad, we're going to fire you, or C, that was really bad, we're calling law enforcement, right? And so the last two of those have the potential to end up in litigation. That's why you want good process, good policy, and the cooperation of your general counsel. No, that, that, that's fantastic. And I mean, just, you know, as I've been listening to you, what comes to mind for me is people are people, people are going to make mistakes. Um, we're complex individuals. Everybody is. And what we need from security teams is the ability to empower people to do their best work, the way the work gets done today, that reduces, you know, a significant amount of risk from the organization you know, I thoroughly believe that zero trust is a way in which that can that, that can help and enable you know that reality to come to life. But there's so many more nuances beyond throw a new technology tool at it and it solves the problem. It does 
I think, you know, my big takeaway is cross-functional collaboration, connecting the dots between teams. Um, and yeah, so, so, so Joseph, thank you so much. Uh, really good stuff here. Let's end it on a high note with a little bit of fun. Uh, I'm going to ask you three questions. It's a rapid fire game that we go through. Uh, just answer them. You know, the, the, the idea here is to really just kind of get uh, a sense for the, the, the person behind the subject matter expert. Uh, All so right. What do you do to relax? What do I do to relax? Well, I would say watch, uh, uh, watch sports, but my sports teams uh, actually make me not relaxed. Um, so typically it's, uh, like playing with the dogs, you know, maybe getting outside, uh, for a hike or, uh, going to, uh, frequent a, uh, a local brewery someplace. Very nice. I, I can relate to you on the sports front. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, football soccer fan and my team is constantly getting relegated and getting promoted. So it's just highs and lows and highs and lows. Who, who do you support? Who's your, what's your sport and, and team of choice? Well, typically, uh, I am a, a big uh, football fan uh, and uh, a college football fan. And, and unfortunately, my team, the Auburn Tigers, did not uh, were not successful this past year. However, basketball is looking uh, looking up for us, and uh, we're I'm pretty happy about the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series there you in go. 2021. Yeah, we've got some Atlanta uh, Atlanta people on our side that were very ecstatic about that. Uh, what are you currently reading? And you can't say research reports from. Forest of people, you have to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> part of research reports. What are you reading? Um, actually, uh, my, my wife gave me a copy of uh, Dave Grohl's book, Storyteller, for the uh, for the holidays. I am just starting that one. I just wrapped up a uh, an excellent book about Atlanta during the Civil Rights era called mm-hmm. Lightning Men. That I would uh, I cannot I think uh, the author was Mullen, but fantastic book. Really opened my eyes to some of the things that were happening in my hometown. Uh, back in the uh, the late fifties, that's really cool. Final question here: You're stuck on a des- on a deserted island. What are the three things that you bring with you? Ooh, yeah, they get harder as uh, we go. I would say my wife and the and the two dogs, but then no one would be looking for me on the desert island. So uh, uh, I'd probably have to lead with sunscreen. Not usually a lot of shade on the desert <laughs> island. A fishing pole because I never get a chance to go fishing. Uh, and then probably an Auburn hat to keep the sun out of my eyes. There you go. And keep your, and keep your fan culture going. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Joseph, thank you so much. And thank you uh, for listening to today's episode for the audience. You can find show notes and other, other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organizations. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. All right, Joseph. Well, thank you so much. I think that went pretty well. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it went...